Amen. You know, uh, when people wanted to follow Jesus, they said, oh, I'll follow you, just like we just sang. Jesus reminded them that there's a cost. And, uh, you know, each generation is the last generation for the gospel, except that young people capture that passion to follow Christ and count the cost and put their life on the line. And so it's really exciting to me when uh, someone like Elim goes, you know, Christ has touched my heart and I feel his calling on my life and I'm going to make sacrifices. And so she's going to come and share a little bit about uh, some of the sacrifices she's making, some of the, the vision that God has given her. And so come on up, Elim, and may God bless you as you share his word with us. Let's give her a, a welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to come up and speak. Um, I'm really grateful to be here this morning. Um, I'm really grateful that Pastor Bill and the team at Eastgate has allowed me to come up and share a little bit of my story. Um, and so before I get started, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself, because um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen me, and I've seen a lot of you, um, but I don't actually know everyone, and I'm sure not a lot of people actually know who I am. Um, and so just to start off with a little bit of my story, um, so like Pastor Bill said, my name's Aleem, and I uh, grew up in a Christian home, um, grew up going to church. I went to the Mandarin church, uh, just attached over there. Um, and I've had the privilege of calling Eastgate my home for the past six and a half years, seven years, um, ever since the Mandarin Church moved over. Um, and even though I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't really believe in Christ myself until going into high school. Um, in high school, I had a, a really dark season, um, really struggled with depression for a few years, and it was in that time that uh, God's continual pursuit of me and his love for me just became really, really evident. Um, and I came to see that his love is actually enough um, and to recognize the depth of his sacrifice that he paid on the cross for me. And from that time onwards, um, I became more and more surrendered to God and came to recognize, like, I want to follow this guy. I want to follow Jesus. Um, and so from that time on in high school, I've grown in a lot in maturity as a Christian and has, have grown in understanding um, what does it look like to follow Christ. Um, and after high school, I went into university. Um, I went into school for nursing in hopes of um, being able to share God's love with the people who are physically sick and suffering. Um, and going into university, I thought that nursing was a very direct career path. I thought I would go in, get my degree, um, potentially make a few friends along the way, um, and then get out and start working in the workforce. Uh, but God very clearly had different plans for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, in university, um, in my second year, I really struggled with school, um, really struggled with uh, academics and starting work in the hospital. Um, and I'd never struggled with school up until that point, and so that was really challenging for me. Um, I was so confident going into university that nursing was such a good fit for me. Everyone had told me, oh, you're so bubbly and you love people, like, you'll be great at this. Um, but that was not the case. I really struggled in, like, going into the hospital um, and really applying the things that I had learned in class into school. Um, and in that time, God really revealed to me that I was holding on to this dream of becoming a nurse way too tightly. 
as I struggled through that semester of working in the hospital and feeling inadequate, um, God revealed to me that I was actually putting my hope in the career, um, and all my confidence was in that rather than pursuing nursing. I was pursuing nursing, ultimately, rather than pursuing Christ. Um, And so during that time, God started to uproot the misplaced foundations that I had of identity and taught me what it looks like to actually find my identity in Christ, to find it in Jesus alone rather than in my achievements. And so in that semester, um, I really learned what it looks like to surrender my own wills to God um, and to to hold on to the joy of just being his child rather than um, trying to find joy in, in this career that I was pursuing. After that semester of uh, really surrendering and relying to God, um, I went to a Christian conference over the Christmas break. And at this conference, there was a missionary who came in and spoke. Um, He had served in Papua New Guinea for multiple years, and um, he uprooted his whole family, um, left a really good accounting job, and um, him and his family moved to this tribe that was unreached, um, meaning that there was no access to the gospel there. Um, And... Yeah, he shared about um, what it was like to learn the culture and the language, what it was like to be embraced by the culture and to ultimately join into that tribe. Um, And ultimately, he ended up planting a church there. And as he was sharing, um, God began to stir in my heart. And halfway through the message, tears were rolling down my face. um, And I experienced a deep sorrow that I'd never experienced before. It was as if God was giving me a glimpse of his broken heart for the lost, Um, And that was just such a big burden that he was weighing on my shoulders. And so during the responsive song, um, they had a long period of worship. um, And during that that time of worship, I remember praying a prayer very similar to the one that Isaiah prays in Isaiah 6-8. Here I am, Lord. If it's your will, send me. I don't know how many of you have prayed a prayer similar to that, um, but it's not an easy prayer to pray. Um, And it's not one that should be taken lightheartedly. What brought me to this place of willingness to say those words was not the emotions of the moment, although that probably did play a part in it, but it was rather the recognition of my own failures and the conviction of my folly um, that I had called myself a Christian up until that point, but I had never truly followed Christ yet. And so that's kind of what I want to touch on today, um, is the idea of what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. I wanted to share a few thoughts of what God has revealed to me through scripture and in my own life about following God. Um, And what I'm going to share is probably not something that you haven't heard before, um, but yeah, I just wanted to remind you um, of what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. Um, And I think the worship team did such a great job of leading us into that place of understanding that. Um, just all the songs that they sang really led me to a place of worship and um, and being ready to hear uh, what God has to say to us. And so before we dive in, I just wanted to pray, um, and then we can get started. So let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you so much for being here. We thank you that your spirit is in this place, that your spirit is is alive and moving within us. God, we thank you so much for the words that you have for us today that you've given us scripture to read and to understand. Um, Yeah, God, we thank you that we get to learn and to continue learning about what it looks like to truly follow you, Jesus. And I pray that as we learn about this from your word today, God, would I just be a vessel for your word? Would none of this be out of my own mouth or out of my own heart, but God, would it be from you speaking to me? 
and speaking through me. Jesus, I ask that we would be obedient, that we would be able to lay down the things that we're holding on to right now um, to really take in what you're trying to say to us today. So God, we ask for your spirit here, and we ask that we would be open to what you have to say to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, I'd ask you to flip over to Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. That's where we'll be looking into today. And before I read it, um, I just want to talk about the idea of following Jesus. Um, The idea of following Christ is interwoven all throughout Scripture. Jesus directly says, follow me, 11 times in the four Gospels. Um, And outside of that, there are so many times where he talks about following me or when other people ask to follow him. And so this idea of following Christ is really important. Um, It's clearly emphasized a lot in Scripture. But what does it actually mean to follow me, um, as Jesus says? And so let's read Luke 9, 57 together. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so this passage very clearly talks about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, When I was reading through this passage and preparing, one thing that I noticed right away is that Jesus has three different encounters with three different people about what it looks like to follow Christ. But as we read through it, it doesn't seem like any of these men actually end up following Jesus. And why is that? I believe it's because Jesus makes it clear that following him is not easy. His responses to these three different men is pretty random um, when you like first look at it. It doesn't seem like it really relates to what the, the men are talking about. Um, but Jesus has intention in what he's saying. His responses tell us what he's actually looking for from his followers. And so I want to start by looking at the, the third man, actually, um, in verse 61. Um, So this man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And this is not an unreasonable request. Um, I think if we're leaving our house or going on a trip, we're going to say goodbye to whoever we're uh, with in the house. We're going to to tell them that we're off. Um, And so it doesn't seem like a big request for this man to make. Um, But it's actually an excuse to delay following Christ. He says, first let me go. And this kind of shows that uh, this man's priorities are not actually on Christ, but on something else, on his family. Um, And that's the same with the man in verse 59 when he says, first let me go and bury my father. Both these men, um, by saying, like, first let me go do this, first let me go do that, they're actually prioritizing something else rather than Christ. They're prioritizing their family before God. And I want to contrast this with um, another group of people who end up following Christ Um, And in Matthew 4.19, you see Jesus calling the disciples one by one. Um, So he first starts with talking to Peter and Andrew, and he says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And it says, At once they left their nets and followed him. 
And then later on, talking to James and John as well, he says, come follow me. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And these men were in very similar situations to to this guy that we're reading about who says he wants to say goodbye to his family first. They also had had family to care for. They also had um, commitments and jobs. Um, And they're in the midst of working right when Jesus calls them. But their response is so different than the man that we read about in verse 61. Their response is that they immediately left and followed. Even James and John, their father was in the boat with them, and they leave without saying goodbye. Like, how how rude is that? Um, But that just shows that they are so willing to go without hesitation, that they are all in and all ready to go and follow Christ. Jesus is not looking for people who are hesitant, who still have attachments to their old selves and to their old lives and to their old ways of living. Jesus is looking for people who are ready to go all in for him. In verse 62, um, Jesus replies, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I don't know a ton about farming, uh, but I'm assuming when you're plowing a field, you want to be plowing straight. Um, you don't want to be plowing and constantly looking back, and then the plow goes wide goes like, and swerves all the way around. Um, and I think it, I draw a lot of uh, similarities between plowing and driving a car. Um, when I first learned to drive a car, I was scared out of my mind. Um, and the scariest thing for me about learning to drive was merging into the next lane. Because when you merge, you have to shoulder check and take your eyes off the road. Um, and it, every time I would merge into a lane, I would turn my head and my wheel would go with it. Um, and then you're just like swerving. Um, there were multiple times when I was close to hitting the car right beside me. Um, And if you're thinking of driving, going into a driving test, if you're shoulder checking and you're constantly swerving, they're not going to let you pass. They're not going to give you your license. Um, And similarly, Jesus is saying, if you're constantly looking back at your old self, if you're constantly looking back at your old way of living, of the things that you used to hold on to before you knew me, um, you're not focused on the road. You're not focused on driving straight. You're not focused on the kingdom. Um, And so you're not fit to serve in the kingdom of God. You're not fit to follow me. The point isn't that you can't say goodbye to your family. Um, Although this is the case for this man, um, that's not the point that Jesus is actually saying to us. Jesus is saying that if you're so concerned with your family or with other things, um, and that's distracting you from going straight and pursuing God's kingdom, then you're not fit. He describes following Christ as being fit for service. Um, and I think of this as like, like a soldier being enlisted into the army. You need to be fit for service. We need to remember that um, we are fighting a spiritual battle, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, as it says in Ephesians 6, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's why we need to put on the full armor, because we are fighting this battle. And God is not looking for people who are fighting this battle half-heartedly. He needs soldiers who are all in for his service. In Matthew 22, verse 36, um, the Pharisees ask, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so if we want to follow Jesus... We need to be willing to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, 
And that needs to come above everything else that we have in our life. And so Jesus is looking for followers who are all in, who are fully devoted to him and to his work. Now let's look at the second man. Um, In verse 59, Jesus says to another man, follow me. But the man replies, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so this tells us why we need to be focused. This tells us why we need to keep our heads straight and keep our eyes on the road. Because we need to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And when you first read this passage, it seems like he's kind of saying the same thing as the man that we just studied, um, that, yeah, you can't be attached to your old ways of life. Um, But Jesus' response shows us that there's a sense of urgency, that following him can't wait. He says, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The man's response, he says, let me bury my father. Um, And most scholars say that Um, When he says this, his father's not actually dead yet. Um, Because if his father was dead, he would already be in the midst of preparing the burial service and preparing all the preparations. He wouldn't be here talking to Jesus. Um, And so when he's saying, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, he's saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, um, but I'll wait until my family things are wrapped up. I'll wait until um, this is done and that is done. I'll wait until all my loose ends are tied, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus very clearly says no to that. Jesus says there's an urgency to go and proclaim the gospel. When I was at that that conference and the missionary was speaking, he shared a story of how he had to go into a tribe that was requesting a missionary, um, and he was only there for a few days just to see if they actually wanted a missionary in their tribe. Um, And uh, that tribe welcomed him with open arms and were so glad that he was there. Um, But when they found out that he wasn't actually there to share the good news, to them, um, the good news that had brought a lot of joy to the different tribes that they saw around them. Um, They were very sad, and they asked this missionary, um, like, when will we get someone like you to come into our tribe and share the gospel with us? And this missionary uh, basically had to tell everyone that he met, um, he had to say this. He said, everyone that I've met here will pass away before someone will come and share the gospel with you. And when I heard that, oh man, was I so convicted. I think in that time when he shared that story with me, the urgency of the gospel became so much more evident and so much more real. People's eternities depend on believers going and proclaiming the gospel. In Romans 10, um, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Jesus is looking for followers who are fully devoted to him and are fully devoted to urgently proclaim the gospel. Now let's look at the third man, um, the first man that Jesus runs into. In verse 57, uh, the man says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
And when I read this, I just thought, that's such a weird thing for Jesus to say. Like, you'd think if someone says, like, Jesus, I'll believe in you, I'll follow you, Jesus would be rejoicing. Jesus would be so happy that someone wants to follow him. But that's not the case in this. Um, His response is something that really makes you think. And I think to understand why Jesus responds in this way, um, we have to look at the context before this. Um, So right before Jesus runs into this man, um, he's on his way to Jerusalem because he knows his time is coming up. And uh, he sends a few messengers ahead of him to go into the village um, to prepare a place for him to stay, for him to rest his head. And the people in the village say, oh, we don't want Jesus. We've heard things about him. We don't want him here. And so the people ultimately reject Jesus, and he doesn't have a place to lay his head for the night. And then this man comes in and says, oh, I'll follow you. And that's why Jesus' response is the way it is, because he's just first-handedly experienced what it means to, to be Jesus, and for anyone who's with him, what it means to be a follower of him, that there isn't going to be a place to stay, that you're not going to be welcomed, that you're going to be rejected by people. But ultimately, Jesus, in Jesus' response, he's not just referring to a physical place to lay his head, um, but he uses this as an, as an example to say that if you truly want to follow me, you need to be willing to leave your comfort, to be willing to face rejection, to endure the hardships that will come with becoming a Christ follower. And I think it's actually out of Jesus' kindness that he, that he responds in this way, um, Jesus is laying down the cost of what it will be to follow him. Um, I think it would have been really heartbreaking for this man to follow him naively, not knowing what the cost would be, and then later on having to suffer the cost. Um, And so I think Jesus is really kind in in laying the price tag out for him and giving him the receipt of, like, this is what it will look like to follow me. You're going to have to pay a price. In Luke 9, uh, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, or in another version it says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? And so... If we choose to follow Christ, we need to be willing to lay down our selfish interests, to deny ourselves of everything that we used to use to identify ourselves, um, anything that associated, that we associated with ourselves before Christ. And when he says, take up his cross, um, what did the cross mean? The cross was a sign of shame, of rejection, of opposition, of suffering, and ultimately of death. Jesus died a gruesome death. And he died. He was flogged, shamed, suffered, and died so that we could have our sins washed clean, so that we could be with God in eternity. Our lives are so short on earth in the span of eternity. Jesus, he paid the ultimate price for us to know him. And so why are we not willing to pay a minor price um, for others to know about his ultimate sacrifice for them? When Jesus says, go and make disciples, and Jesus says, um, go and proclaim the gospel, that's the calling that he's given us. And the price is that 
We have to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. Every day, we have to do that. And why aren't we willing to do that? Our lives on earth are so short compared to eternity with God. I want to bring your attention to uh, a story in the Old Testament. Um, the story is about King David, and um, it's taken from Second Samuel. And King David has just committed the sin against God. Um, and because of the sin, uh, God sends a plague upon Israel. Um, and, yeah, the Israelites are being destroyed um, by every second. And David recognizes his sin, and he's repenting. Um, and he says, okay, I'm going to, to, to build an altar and sacrifice um, to God so that he can stop this plague on Israel. And so he sees a field in the distance, um, and it's owned by this guy named Aranah. Um, and so he goes to Arana and says, oh, I'm can I buy your field from you? I want to sacrifice um, and build an altar to the Lord. And Arana says, oh, there's no need to buy it from me. I'll give it to you, my king. You're the king. How dare I make you pay for it? Um, and I'll even give you oxen as an offering, and I'll give you wood for you to build your altar. Um, you can take whatever you wish. Um, but King David's reply is so interesting. Um, he says, no. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Have you ever sacrificed something to the Lord that cost you nothing? That was actually meaningless to you? I know I have. And when I think about all those times that I've, I've, sac I've given to God something that meant nothing to me, I'm actually appalled. How dare we give something meaningless to the Almighty, Most High God? Jesus is looking for followers who are fully devoted to him, who are fully devoted to urgently proclaim the gospel, no matter what the cost is. And if you think about it, the cost isn't that big compared to the cost that he paid for us. So I mentioned before, I prayed, um, here I am, Lord, send me. And I realized in that moment that prayer shouldn't be taken lightly, as God answered that prayer really quickly. Um, six months after I'd prayed that, um, I was on a plane headed to East Asia on my way to share the gospel with university students six weeks in an unreached world where Jesus is not openly proclaimed. And my time in East Asia, um, it was very short, but it was so memorable. Um, I think... In East Asia, God really opened my eyes to the joys of following him, um, of seeing people come to know Christ and to understand who he is for the first time. When I was in East Asia, I felt so much conviction over the fact that I know the gospel, I've known it for so long, but I've taken it for granted. How could I have been so self-centered and so consumed with my own life when there are people all around the world begging for someone to share just a glimpse of this gospel message with them? It's solely because of God's grace and God's mercy on my life that I'm living in Canada, that I have access to the gospel, that I know who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And ever since going to East Asia that summer, um, that conviction has just weighed heavily on my heart, um, that I can't be self-centered and can't take the gospel for granted. And so God's slowly been planting this desire in my heart to serve him for a longer period of time in missions, 
I ended up going back to East Asia last summer, um, partially to discern whether or not I wanted to follow, follow Christ and to serve in missions, as God had continued to break my heart for unreached peoples and for East Asia in specific. It was such a privilege to play just such a minute part in what God is doing in the works, in the hearts of people there. Um, But I'm not going to lie, it was really difficult. Ministry is not easy. I learned that the hard way. Um, I found ministry in East Asia so challenging. Um, I had a lot of really hard conversations with people. Um, A lot of similar conversations to what we're having right now about the cost of following Christ. And I saw people reject the gospel. And that was really, really sad. It's heartbreaking when you think people have rejected relationship with God when they don't understand God's love for them. I think outside of ministry being challenging, I also experienced a lot of hardship with just being in a new culture and, yeah, adjusting to uh, working with people I didn't know and... I experienced a lot of loneliness and homesickness. And I don't really get homesick. That's not something I had ever experienced before going to East Asia last summer. Um, But I experienced it in a really deep way when I was there. And so coming back from that trip, I really wrestled with God. Um, I spent a lot of time asking him, like, why would I experience such hardship when I know this is a place that you're calling me to? Why would you plant so many doubts in my mind of whether or not I want to follow you I questioned if I still wanted to serve him in missions in the future. Um, But, yeah, as I spent more time thinking about it, I realized that God was actually, um, yeah, showing me what it looks like to not be naive. Um, God was really kind in allowing me to experience the hardship there. And it was just a glimpse, I'm sure. Um, There are a lot more hardships than the ones I experienced, but... God was testing me in the same way that Jesus tested the man in the story. He was showing me the reality of what it means to follow him, that it's not easy, that it will be uncomfortable, that it will cost me, and that I may suffer and potentially even die for it. But as I continued to pray over what I wanted to do after graduation, his invitation was continually just so clear to me. Are you willing to follow me no matter what the cost is? And I think it's so cool that um, the worship team played Christ is Enough um, because it was during that song, it was during the time when we were singing I've Decided to Follow Jesus, a year and a half ago we were singing that and um, that's when I remembered that this is what Jesus' invitation to me is, is that he's asking me to follow him no matter what the cost is and to trust that he is enough for me even when the cost is hard. This past April, um, I graduated from nursing school, and I'm now in the midst of preparing to go to East Asia with an organization called Power to Change for a year, Um, and I'm going there to share the gospel with university students. I'll be building relationships with the students there and entering into spiritual conversations with them in hopes of being able to bring people to know Christ, of being able to share the gospel with them. I'll also be able to serve the existing student fellowship there. I'll be helping to run Bible studies and prayer meetings and disciple the students one-on-one. And I think that's something that I'm really excited for. I've seen the value of discipleship in my own life, and I'm excited to help make believers who will become lifelong followers of Christ, who will help um, the Great Commission come to pass, who will join me in 
in this Great Commission. The city that I'm going to is the city that I've been going to for the past two summers, and so I have really good relationships with the people there. I have a lot of friends that I've already built relationships with, and so um, I'm really excited to go back and to see what God has done in softening people's hearts over the years um, and to see how God is um, allowing people to be more receptive to the gospel. I'm also excited to go to the city because it's a city that's surrounded by unreached minority people groups. So I'll be interacting with a diverse group of students who have never heard the gospel before. And just thinking about that, I think the potential is so exciting. It's so endless. Um, Just thinking, like, if a student from a minority people that we're interacting with comes to know Christ and ends up believing in Christ, they could then bring the gospel to their own people, to their own nation. And that's something that really, really excites me. Um, the fact that there's a potential for unreached people to become reached. I'd always had the mentality that missionaries are necessary and needed, and missions is so good, um, but that I was not never going to be a missionary, that God wasn't calling me to that. Um, I didn't have the giftings or the passion for it. Um, I didn't feel called to it in Christian terms. Um, but in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This great commission, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. He doesn't say, go and make disciples if you're gifted in evangelism or if you don't have any other commitments in your life. He doesn't say, go and make disciples if you've been able to pursue all that you want to pursue, if your kids have grown up and have their own jobs. He says, go, deny yourselves, take up your cross daily, follow me, proclaim the kingdom of God. There are no ifs or buts with this command. The whole premise of the gospel is that Jesus left his home, left his comfort, and made himself less than a servant for the sake of glorifying God and for the sake of our salvation. And he calls us to follow his example in that. We need to be willing to deny ourselves so that we can fully take up our cross daily and follow him, no matter what the cost is, for the sake of other people knowing Jesus like we know him. I often think about um, just what it will look like when the Great Commission is fulfilled when all the nations have heard the gospel. And time and time again, I'm pointed back to Revelation 7, when it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They are wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is not easy. It's never going to be easy. But it is so, so worth it when we think of this passage and when we remember that this is the end result, that all nations, tribes, tongues, languages will come before God and worship him together. So my question for you, are you willing to follow Jesus fully and to make him known, no matter what the cost is? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, for allowing us to know the beauty of your gospel, the beauty of what it's like to be in relationship with you. And God, we repent of all the times when we're not willing to pay the small cost for other people to know that. Jesus, I ask that we would be obedient to your calling, whatever that is, that we would be willing to count the cost and willing to pay the price of following you. God, we thank you that you give us this command, but you don't give it empty-handed. You tell us that your spirit is with us. You tell us you will be with us to the end of the age. And so, God, I pray that you would be convicting us of, um, of how we haven't been following you and what it looks like in our future to follow you and reminding us that as we pay the price of following you, you are with us in that. God, we pray that we would be obedient to your calling, that we would be obedient to your spirit, and that ultimately your kingdom would come and your will would be done. We look forward to the day when all nations will come together and worship you. And God, I pray that we would play a part in making that happen. Yeah, God, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that um, as we leave today, would you continue to be showing us what it looks like to follow you? We pray all these things in your name. Amen. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. 
To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshipped by all peoples.